Yes, sir. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode eight of the Good Look Podcast. I'm your host, Leonard Pinkney, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinkney, here to give you guys another episode here. Appreciate you guys listening and rocking with me. Uh, you can find me on all the social medias, Instagram and Twitter at L. Pinkney, L-P-I-N-K-N-E-E. Uh, links will go up. I'm trying to work on the video portion of this as well, so once I have that up and running, I'll let you guys know. But we're going to go ahead and get into these basketball topics here, so uh, let's get into it. First off, we're going to start with some recent NBA news, and this first bit isn't really about basketball per se, but um, Dr. Fauci, the the leader of all this uh, COVID-19 news, he was asked about sports returning in the near future, and this was done in a Snapchat interview, and he pretty much said that it would be possible for sports to come back probably sometime in the summer if a couple of things could be guaranteed. If you could have a large enough hotel to house all the players together um, so that they'd be quarantined in one spot, that they could be, be easily surveyed, um, surveilled, excuse me, so it'd be easy to keep track of where everyone is and they're going. Um, testing every week to ensure that no one has it, obviously, no one's spreading it. Um, no fans can be in the stands, obviously, and a, a big enough facility to where you can facilitate having all these teams and players and staff together to go ahead and try to pull something off of this magnitude, like a like a Florida or an Arizona. Those are the places where the spring trainings for baseball teams end up occurring. Um, if you could do something for like that for basketball, um, it's that would be incredible, and it's something that has been discussed. Um, Cities like Las Vegas and, um, and and places in Florida as well have been discussed in order to try and get um, a large concentration of players together. Maybe even having uh, just the playoff teams arrive in those area, areas or cities and uh, have them go ahead and, and, and start uh, some type of play. Um, everyone knows that the world's fiending for it. Fiending for any kind of entertainment, of course, on in, in our podcast, um, um, we're looking for anything basketball related to talk about. And if for if there was a way to go ahead and try to get this done, there was also the idea of a 25 day plan being needed in order for basketball to even begin. Uh, a lot of trainers are concerned with the idea of just starting right away. They'd want to have guys be able to practice and get into shape on their own, and then coming in for a mini training camp for about a week, week and a half. And then getting into some legitimate basketball play. So, I mean, it's it's still really up in the air. A lot of models say that stuff isn't going to get to somewhat of a normal point until even like the fall. So, um, everyone's hoping, everyone's trying to come up with ideas. And the people who are coming up with those ideas, shout out to you guys for, for doing your best in this situation. And speaking of trying to put ideas out there, the NBA horse competition started last week and um, like I was talking about, I really didn't have much, my, my hopes really weren't that high for it and that it kind of, uh, bore itself out here. Um, and you could have kind of predicted that when you looked at the 09 and 010 horse competitions at the all-star game. Um, it was just weird. Um, it was something to talk about, but not really something that was that entertaining. Um, they're going to keep doing it. The tournament's still going on. Um, like I said, not that entertaining, but 
at least people are trying to put something on TV. It's it's really hard in this situation to think of anything. So um, the people in charge have to be commended at least for that, for at least trying. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Um, but for the uh, for the first topic um, that I want to get into in in terms of a discussion. Um, I'm going to try to do this every episode from here on out until the NBA draft occurs. I don't know when the draft is going to occur, but when we get any news on that, I'll go ahead and try to um, delve a little bit deeper. But what I want to do for, for each week is to highlight a certain prospect in the draft, um, just so you guys can be prepared and, and figure out who these guys are, maybe check out some of their YouTube clips and highlights and get yourself ready for the NBA draft as well, because the NBA draft is obviously a huge deal big deal for teams uh getting young talent um at a reasonable price and if they end up hitting on that certain talent it can be the difference between being a good team and uh being a title team there's a lot of uh past examples of champions getting guys on rookie deals or guys in their second or third year in the league contributing to to championship teams you can look at the pistons in 04 with Tayshawn prince um, early Lakers teams with guys like Shannon Brown and Trevor Ariza. Um, not early, but I mean those 0-9-10 Laker teams. Um, pretty much any team. The, the Heat had Mario Chalmers contribute um, for those LeBron, Miami, D-Wade teams. Um, there's always something. There's always some young guy combination or something like that. So the draft is obviously a big deal. And if there's players like Zion and Luka that come around, um, those are franchise-altering type players. So this draft probably isn't going to be that. Um, there is no Zion. There's no Luka. There's no guys like that. But there are a lot of solid players who do have the potential to try to go forward and, and become relevant in this league. So I'm going to highlight one of those players right now. The player that I'm going to highlight first in this uh, draft preview series is, is Killian Hayes. So Killian Hayes is a 6'5 guard, only 18 years old, and he was born in the U.S., in Florida, but he actually moved to France and grew up there because that's where his father played uh, basketball professionally. And he averaged 18, or excuse me, 11 points and 6 uh, assists a night for Ratio Farm Ulm, and that was in Germany. And if you go on YouTube, you can watch some of his highlights and you'll see why he's such a, a highly touted prospect. Um, Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer even has him as his number one overall player in the draft. Um, that's over guys like Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman. Um, and if you watch the tape, uh, you can definitely see why. You can see why there's an argument for him to be the number one overall prospect in this class. First, let's talk about his offensive game. Very quick off the dribble. Um, when you watch his highlights and something that I was that I was doing before um, I went into to this podcast he doesn't look like he's 65 he looks like he's like 62 uh 63 ish um by the way he handles the ball you can tell um he's really quick off the dribble and that's where he does most of his damage um he knows how to navigate the pick and roll um and can pretty much make every pass maybe the 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 cross court skip is something they still has to work on, but pick and pops, pick and rolls, shovel pass, pocket pass, um, any of those intermediate type uh, passes are the type of passes that Hayes can make. Um, so he 
definitely has the court vision to go ahead and, and lead a team and and find ways to get his uh, guys the ball offensively. Um, he also has a really nice jump shot. He's left-handed, so um, lefties just have a certain type of deception when you're a defender going up trying to contest a left-handed shooter's jump shot. It's just a little different because everyone, uh, the majority of players are obviously right-handed, so going up contesting a lefty, whether it's a layup or a jump shot, it's just a little bit different. You can uh, see that right now with Zion. When he attacks the basket, it's more than just his girth. It's the fact that he's left-handed, and it's just weird seeing him finish on the other side of the hoop when you'd expect him to go one way instead of the other. Um, in terms of his jump shot, it's the release is a little slow, um, but not to the point where he can't get it off. He's been playing European defenders pretty much his entire career. When he gets to the league, he's going to have to quicken that up, but his 6'5 frame um, definitely helps in that regard. He has a ton of dribble moves and usually finds a way to get off a clean shot. We're talking all the modern moves that guys use today. So we're talking step backs. We're talking side steps. We're talking um, off the dribble pull-ups, those type of things. He knows how to get his jumper off pretty much in any situation. Um, and he's good in transition. Uh, he's good pulling up off the dribble, pulling up in transition. The kid just knows how to get a bucket. The kid is a definite bucket, definite score, a definite guy from the lead guard position who could definitely lead your team. He's very solid in the mid-range as well, has a nice uh, in-between game, really good with the floaters pretty much, um, and he does have ability to finish at the rim once again, being six, <laughs> being 6'5", as a point guard does have its advantages. He's not super athletic. Um, most of his dunks, if we're talking like NBA 2K terms, they're like rim grazers or those quick drop-in dunks where you just barely touch the rim and then you just drop the ball through the basket really quick. Um, so his athleticism isn't something that's off the charts, but for his position, uh, he's, he's definitely a good athlete and yeah, solid all around prospect, even on the defensive end as well. Um, but that's where we go ahead and start looking at some of his uh, some of his weaknesses. Now, he's good at playing the passing lanes. He's a good guy who he's a guy who likes to um, use that reach and wingspan. He has a six foot eight wingspan to go ahead and get in passing lanes, get steals. He likes working in transition. Um, but in terms of the nuances of defense, switching helping in the right spot, being in the right spot for rotations. It's it's something he starts to work on. And someone who is his age, only being 18 years old right now, you expect that. You expect young kids not to come in and have such a refined um such a refined game when it comes to the defensive side of the ball. So um he still has to work on that. And um in terms of him being left-handed, it is his advantage, but it also is a, a bit of his curse. He relies on his left hand a lot, and when you get to the league, if you rely on one hand too much, after the team scouts you a bit, they're going to figure that out. They're going to start funneling you to your right hand, making you finish with your right hand, and that's that's the difference between good and great guys, is that once you start getting scouted, if you're able to overcome some of those weaknesses and and, and, and become a great player as a result. So he's just going to have to learn to use his right hand. It doesn't have to be as good as his left, but it has to be reliable. It has to be a weapon that he can use to keep the uh, keep the defense honest on the on the offensive side. So 
He can work defensively. Um, but like I said, having the 6'8 wingspan, he's already 215. Like the kid's solidly built. So he has the frame and the size to go ahead and be a good defender at the point guard position. Having a 6'5 point guard with a 6'8 wingspan at 215 pounds already, um, having those quick twitch muscles, having him lead the defense, um, he has the potential to be a pretty good defender in this league. So, um, uh, I you see, when I'm talking about a projection, you're looking at a kind of like a D'Angelo Russell type with a a little more quick twitch muscle and a little more athleticism. D'Lo is all craft. He's not athletic really. Um, he's not fast, but he knows how to get to his spots and he knows how to get his shots off. Killian Hayes same way. Knows how to get to the spots. Knows how to get his shots off. He just does it a little bit quicker, a little bit more um, shiftiness. Um, and if you watch his highlights, you can go ahead and you can definitely tell. Um, he's a kid that knows how to play the game of basketball, and you see the the potential for him to to go forward and become uh, a really solid player in this league. Even have um, some all star potential. Uh, when you're talking about an actual fit. Um, there's a couple teams that come into mind. Um, Orlando could be a nice landing spot for him. I don't know if Markel Fultz is necessarily the long-term fix in Orlando. So, um, bringing in some competition there would be good. Um, I could see him in Utah. Um, Utah only has one more year of Mike Conley. Mike Conley has a player option and the way he's been playing this season, he's definitely going to accept that player option. I believe it's around 28 or $30 million. He's not getting that in the free agent market, so he's going to have to cash in on his last player option that he has. Um, and that way, Utah could ease in Hayes. Um, he could come off the bench. He might not even have to play right away, but he could learn from someone like Mike Conley, who's also left-handed, also a crafty point guard. Um, that'd definitely be a good situation for him to learn and not have to feel like he'd be rushed into a situation. Um, kind of depends. You have the other side of the coin, like the New York Knicks. Um, and if the Knicks and their fans and the media could get over the fact that they take another foreign point guard, um, shout out Frank Nilakina. Um, but Hayes is, is, is definitely a lot better than Nilakina as a prospect. Offensively, it's not even close. Um, he'd be a great pick there, too. And in that situation, he wouldn't be playing behind anyone. He'd be starting right away. He'd be able to take his lumps. Um, but he'd be learning on the fly and getting that experience right away. Um, even if you have some rough spots, it's definitely good for you, and it's going to help you out in the long run. So hopefully Killian Hayes gets into a good spot where he can go ahead and develop. I think Utah would be the best kind of situation for him where he doesn't have to play right away. He's still really young. When he gets drafted, he'll be, I think he'll still be 18 years old, almost 19. Um, a kid that young, you want to be patient with. You don't want to just throw him into the fire. Um, I definitely see a top five projection for him. Um, it's possibly slips into the top 10, but top five, this kid has all the tools offensively um, and defensively. He can turn himself into a premier defender at the point guard position as well. So I really like his game. I see solid rotation players, solid starter for sure. Um, potential to make maybe two or three all-star teams depending on the season. Um, he has that kind of potential. So look out for Killian Hayes. Alrighty, so the next topic I want to talk about here is a topic that will be talked about 
until the end of time. Who do you got? LeBron James or Michael Jordan? So now when we're talking about the GOAT conversation, um, it's something that pretty much people my age, um, people who are in their 30s and 40s, even their 50s, these are the two guys that come from the conversations. Rest in peace, Kobe. He's someone that comes up, but as well as Bill Russell, and, and we need to show more respect to Bill Russell, even though it was an era where the players weren't as good and there were only so many teams in the league. It's not his fault that he was playing during that time. In that time, he dominated 11 championships. is something that can't be ignored. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar should be in that conversation more. Um, the NBA's all-time leading scorer um, and just a, a, an incredible center all the way through college and his NBA career was always good no matter what. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird carried the 80s. But when we're talking about the GOAT conversation, it's pretty much settled on these two guys, LeBron James and Michael Jordan. And I wanted to bring this up because, obviously, that new 10-part Bulls documentary series is going to start um, start up pretty soon. It's going to come out this Sunday. And um, a lot of us basketball fans are looking forward to it, obviously, because we don't have any real basketball to watch right now, thank goodness. ESPN pushed that up for us so we can have something to look out for, something to watch. So I know personally I'm really interested in that. Um, I just One of the things that I really wish I could have done was been alive and maybe have – I wish I could have been 20 and transported back into the 90s and just experienced how great Michael Jordan was during that time. Um, so I'm excited to go ahead and get into this documentary when it comes out. So um, – but when we talk about the GOAT conversation, it's with these two guys, um, and you have the LeBron fans and the Jordan fans, and they'll always pick each side apart, always try to find the little nuggets that go ahead and make their argument better than the others. Um, so I wanted to break it down. I wanted to look at it piece by piece, player by player, moment by moment, accolade by accolade, and, and, and then give you my choice as who I think who I would take between these two and who I think is the greatest player of all time. So we'll go ahead and start with LeBron. Now, when you make the LeBron case, um, you can say as soon as he got into the league, he was immediately making an impact. And this was at age 18, straight out of high school. He had been the number one player in the country two years in a row. Um, and teams were tanking for him two years before. Um, he was coming out. Teams were ready for LeBron as soon as he came out. It was just um, just by luck that the Cleveland Cavaliers ended up getting that first overall pick. Um, he did miss the playoffs in his first two years, but he came into the league averaging 20 in his rookie year, and he won rookie of the year. I thought he should have split it with Carmelo, just saying. But he did win rookie of the year. Um, he became an all-star in his second season uh, for the first time. And he was averaging 27 a night by the time he was 19, 20 years old. And then in his third year, at only age 21, he was averaging 31 points a game. So LeBron hit the ground running. As soon as he was in the NBA, great player, all-star caliber player. No question about it. Um, and even though scoring has never been LeBron's quote-unquote calling card, um, he's always had that ability to score. But the biggest thing for LeBron that's always been emphasized is his all-around game. 
up until this point, we're talking year 17, he still has career averages of 7.4 assists and 7.4 rebounds. I mean, this year with the Lakers, he was going to lead the league in assists per game. So even in year 17, he was continuing to find ways to elevate and evolve and grow his game. Um, and the, the all-around performance by him has been nothing short of spectacular his entire career. Um, and then when he wants to, he can be a, a terror on defense as well. I mean, we just who could forget all of those chase-down blocks LeBron had in those, those early to late Cleveland years? We're talking about MVP Bron. Two would come out of nowhere and just swat people's shit off the backboard. It was amazing. Um, and in Miami, he was still doing that, but he was also showing his versatility, being able to guard guys legitimately one through five. Um, he had a case to be defensive player of the year one of those years in 12 or 13. It just didn't happen. The boast just didn't go his way. Um, but defensively, he's when he's when he's locked in as well, He's a, he's a monster. He's 6'8", probably 260, maybe 280. Um, and he's, he's a monster on that end as well. And, and his iconic play, the most iconic play of his career is on the defensive end when he had that block against Andre Iguodala in, in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. So you know when LeBron's locked in on defense, um, he can be that dude as well. He can be the best. Well, not one of the best. He can be the best defender in the league. So let's go ahead and go through some of those LeBron accolades. We got LeBron being a 16-time NBA All-Star, three-time All-Star Game MVP, a three-time NBA champion, and three-time Finals MVP, including nine total trips to the NBA Finals, which includes a staggering eight in a row from 2010 through 2018. He was the final, or excuse me, the regular season MVP four times, a 2008 scoring champion. A 15-time All-NBA performer, six-time All-Defensive player, the 2004 Rookie of the Year, and his career high in points is 62, and that came against Charlotte in 2013. Some of his most memorable moments as a player include his Game 5 against Detroit in 07 when he scored 48 points in the Palace of Auburn Hills, including 29 of the team's last 30 points. Watch it. It's when LeBron had his jumper going, and when LeBron has his jumper going, you literally cannot stop him, and that's him at age 22, putting in that work, getting buckets on that Detroit ass. Um, his game one buzzer beater against the Magic in 2009, I remember watching that game on TV and saying, I'm calling it, LeBron's going to hit a game winning three at this point, and he ended up doing it, felt pretty dope about that. Uh, game six. Of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals against Boston, he went 45-15-5 and five on him. That's probably the most pressure LeBron's felt in a game in his entire career. If he doesn't win that game, Boston ends up going to the finals. He'd go two years without winning a title, and they might end up breaking that team up. So there was a lot of pressure going into that game, and LeBron performed as, as well as he's ever played. Game 7, 2016 Finals, obviously I mentioned it already, has the block. Um, gets Cleveland their first title ever. And the city of Cleveland, their first title in over 60 years. It was monumental. And game one of the 2018 finals in a losing effort, he went 51-8-8. This is the greatest game I've ever seen a human being play. It was outstanding. Bonus, I was actually there. Um, 
was on vacation and ended up uh, having it collide with the NBA Finals dates in San Francisco. And we decided to take a trip over to the Bay and uh, or over across the bridge to Oakland. And um, it was an incredible game. Incredible game to watch in person. LeBron pretty much by himself. There's no Kyrie. Yes, uh, Kevin Love being I. Um, and LeBron put in one of the most... It was the, the most amazing game I've seen a basketball player ever play in my life. 51-8-8. He did whatever he wanted. Got wherever he wanted. Did whatever he wanted. And it's amazing that they still lost that game. Incredible. And yeah, I mean, just look at look at everything that I just said. And if you put that all together for someone who's still going, who still is in the MVP conversation even though I don't think he really is, but if you're going to have a quote-unquote conversation, he's in it at year 17, still doing all these great things in year 17. This is an incredible case to make for being the greatest player of all time. Unquestionably top two. Not not a debate. Um, and that's what makes this question so fun and so polarizing. Uh, LeBron has all these accolades, has done all these great things, has been this great for this long, and the biggest thing you can put for LeBron in terms of him being the GOAT over Michael is the longevity. Um, I'll go into Jordan's um, accolades and parts of his career in a bit, but um, LeBron's longevity is something that just can't be ignored. For someone to be this good for this long, um, that's the biggest stamp you can put in terms of saying that LeBron is better than Michael. Now I'm going to go ahead and, and get into the Jordan side of things. Jordan came into the league in 1984, three years older than LeBron. Um, a guard entering the league, pretty much any player entering the league at a high school during that time, was it just wasn't a common path back then. So Michael spent three years in college. Um, he was the third overall pick behind Hakeem Olajuwon, which is justified, and Sam Bowie, which is not. Um, and he, like LeBron made an immediate impact when he, when, as soon as he hit the court as a rookie. He played all 82, played 38 minutes a night, and averaged 28.6 rebounds and six assists to go along with two steals per game. Immediately a force on both sides of the floor. No question about it. He ended up breaking his foot in his second season, but after that, he went on to average 30 points per game. Or excuse me, let me let me reword that so you guys can can understand the emphasis on that. After his second season, from this third season on, he went seven consecutive seasons averaging thirty plus points per game, including a mind-numbing thirty-seven points a night in nineteen eighty-seven. And please keep in mind, he only took point eight threes per game that season. Michael wasn't a three-point shooter a guard still averaging over 30 points a night seven consecutive seasons and the season that he didn't that broke that streak up he averaged like 29 so offensively there was nothing michael jordan could not do um at his best he was also the best defensive wing in the game probably the best wing defender the, that basketball's ever seen uh the only other people in the argument could be lebron at his peak um, in terms of a, a longer uh, uh, a longer sheet of evidence, we'd look at um, we'd look no further than his actual best teammate, um, Scottie Pippen. 
Scottie Pippen at 6'8 could do everything defensively. Um, one of the, if not the most versatile defender of all time. So, um, But if you look at certain quotes in history, you look back on, on certain uh, certain games, and, and there's a lot of people who argue that when the Michael Jordan was at his best, he was the best defender, best wing defender the game has ever seen. If you want to talk about some memorable moments, uh, there's that game in 85 when he came back, or 86, excuse me, when he came back from the broken foot and they played Boston. This is 86 Boston. This is one of the best teams of all time. Jordan dropped <laughs> Jordan dropped 63 on him in the garden and going crazy into Jordan once, and it was an incredible performance. That's when Larry Bird just said Michael Jordan was outstanding. There was... Nothing they could do about it. There was nothing they could do for him. Double teams, triple teams, it did not matter what kind of coverage that was hedged over to him. Michael was going to get buckets in that game. Um, you can look at all the, you can look at the game winner against Cleveland. He had that shot over Elo. You can look at the finals against Phoenix where he averaged 45 points a night. I'm not trying to say that lightly. In the ninety in the ninety one finals against the Sun, he averaged forty five points a game. Go back, go on YouTube. You'll be able to find some highlights, and go on Basketball Reference too, and uh, you can fact check me. Check out Michael Jordan back then in that series against Phoenix. He was absolutely incredible. And then, um, I mean, we could point to every series pretty much. Uh, ninety again or ninety one against those Lakers. Um, incredible performances against Magic Johnson, especially defensively with him and Scottie Pippen tag teaming. Um, 91, Portland. 92, going against, or excuse me, I had the, I guess I had that those Phoenix years with the Portland year mixed up. I'm sorry. Uh, Phoenix, Portland, when they played Seattle, and then they played Utah back-to-back. Um, the famous shot in 98, Jordan has... That shot where he slightly pushed off Byron Russell. He has just so many moments um, and so many big clutch performances. There's so many things you can recall back on Michael Jordan's career. Um, that it's, it's hard to just put everything into one one argument. So um, If we just look at it flatly based on his accolades, six-time NBA champion, six-time finals MVP, five-time regular season MVP, 14-time NBA All-Star, including three All-Star game MVPs. He was All-NBA 11 times. He was the scoring champion. Get this, 10 times. A 10-time scoring champion. The the most recent, or the guy who you could consider the best scorer right now in terms of the modern NBA is probably Kevin Durant. He won three. Michael had 10 Michael won the scoring title 10 times. That's incredible. He was the 1988 Defensive Player of the Year. So not only did he have that incredible 88, excuse me, this is the the year after that. After he has the Defensive Player of the Year season, he has what some consider as one of the greatest seasons of all time in 88-89 where he goes 32-8-8 on 54% shooting. Absolutely incredible. Nine-time all uh, All NBA defense, three-time steals champ. His career high was sixty-nine points against Cleveland, and he was the nineteen eighty-four Rookie of the Year. Um, a small note: 
uh, but something that can't go unnoticed is that he never allowed an NBA Finals to reach a Game 7. He was 6 for 6 in the NBA Finals. So now, with everything out on the table, all the accolades, all the facts on the, on the floor, um, we have LeBron James and we have Michael Jordan. So now, I'm going to go ahead and give you my choice on who I believe is the greatest player of all time. I apologize to all of you LeBron fans out there, but I'm going to go with Michael Jordan. I mean, people have their arguments for LeBron, and I mean, there's you can just look at them basically in a vacuum and say LeBron 6'8", 280, Michael Jordan, 6'6", 220. LeBron was just bigger, stronger, and faster. And he just does a lot more little things than than Jordan. And if you look at just basic stats in terms of him being a better rebounder and, and a better passer, you can say LeBron's had to, in the early parts of his career, play with less. No one, you can point to that 07 finals and say no one would have been able to lead that team to the finals other than LeBron James. Um, you can... Can, you can definitely do that, and you can definitely nitpick little aspects of the game, each of their games, and, and we could point to Jordan. If we're going to nitpick stuff like that, like the passing and the rebounding, we can say that Jordan was a, a way better free throw shooter than LeBron. LeBron has had seasons where he shot in the 60s, and that just doesn't make sense for a player of his caliber to shoot that poor of a percentage. And Michael Jordan was definitely a better shooter in general. Um, you can't tell me that LeBron's a better three-point shooter now. Michael Jordan just grew up in an era where people didn't shoot threes. Like that year where he averaged 32, or excuse me, 37. Like I said, he only shot .83s a game. So um, if you just look at them NBA eye test and you want to tell me who the better shooter is, it's no question. It's Michael Jordan. And he's a better defender too. LeBron at his peak, um, probably for a good five, six years was a really good defender and maybe the best and most versatile defender in the league. But if we're talking about over the course of a career, longevity-wise, the type of tenacity and work that Michael Jordan would put in day in and day out uh, to be the type of defender that he was, he was on all-defensive team nine times and he was the defensive player of the year in 88, it's Michael Jordan for sure. That's not a question either. Um... And 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 you and then you have if you want to try to say LeBron's the more versatile defender that's that's fine but you can talk about you can come back and counter with LeBron was pretty much having defense be an option the last five years or or so especially in Cleveland especially in Cleveland you could see he'd be taking possessions off flying by guys not giving as much effort as he normally could and I mean it made sense for him. Um, in terms of keeping his body ready for the finals, and, and, and that was understood. But when we're having a conversation like this, that's obviously a tick mark for Michael Jordan. And we could go on and on. We could go on and on and try to debate certain aspects of their games, and you could take it apart and, and put things in a vacuum and, and try to do that. And whoever you're trying to make the argument for, you can find the nugget. You can find the stat to try to back you up in that argument. But... um. And, and, and even I have been caught up in the in this debate before. I've argued it about it with people in the past when I wasn't as um, into basketball. And when I say into basketball, I mean 
um, strictly looking at it at, at, from a historical perspective, really diving deep into the numbers and, and, and the player comparisons for both. Um, if we if we have this type of debate, um, I've I've said that LeBron is the better player, even in some of those conversations. Um, but right now, after getting a chance to look at everything and 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 do my own research and not just say it off the cuff, I, I definitely believe that LeBron James is just second all time, and that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. And the biggest reason I'm going to say that is because more than any other player, Michael Jordan had the biggest heart, the most tenacity, and the greatest clutch ability of any player of all time. Probably even second to Kobe. Or Kobe would be second in that department, that's what I would say. But no one had more heart, tenacity, or clutch ability than Michael Jordan. For as good as LeBron is, the way that he choked in the 2010 NBA, or excuse me, the 2011 NBA Finals against the Mavericks is something that can never, ever be forgotten. Especially when we're talking about the GOAT conversation. They were up two games to nothing, celebrating, looking like they were going to go up three games to none and take out the Mavs really quickly. And then Dirk and Dallas ended up reeling off four straight dubs and clean clocked Miami in the NBA Finals. LeBron did not look like himself at all, and he had a stretch where he scored just two points in four straight fourth quarters of the NBA Finals. Two goddamn points. We're talking about LeBron, Mother F, and James. That just doesn't make any sense. That even included a, a, a game four performance where he only dropped eight total points. That's not even a performance. We're just calling that a dud straight up. A game four in the Finals. Your team is up two games to one. You win that game. You've got the series by the throat going up 3-1. And he came out in Dallas with an eight-point performance. There's absolutely no excuse for a player of LeBron's caliber to have come up so small on the game's biggest stage in that situation. Now, he's made up for it um, in a big way in certain ways. Um 2012 and 2013 for sure and 2016 no question um and you can look at excuses for other portion or other parts of the the losses that he's had a lot of people don't really put a lot on his shoulders for the 07 loss or 15 when he lost kevin love and kyrie irving um but that 2011 is the biggest black stain on his on his legacy and that's something that he'll never be able to wash away um and for um, our purposes of this conversation, um, Michael Jordan just doesn't have that black mark on his legacy the way that LeBron does. LeBron, or excuse me, Michael Jordan came into the league with that killer instinct. Um, and that's something that LeBron had to learn as his, uh, as his career progressed. Jordan went into six NBA Finals and he left as the champion in six NBA Finals. He hit big shot after big shot, and he struck fear into the hearts of all his opponents. He dominated the 90s in a way that few superstars have ever dominated any sport. And if you want to go ahead and try to argue that Michael has some shortcomings too, yeah, when early in his career he lost in the playoffs early. And yes, in 1995 when he came back 
he lost in the second round to Orlando pretty embarrassingly. But none of those black marks are like LeBron's 2011 finals, so I just, I just don't want to hear it in that regard. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, and I'm really happy that this documentary is going to come out soon because a lot of people my age, um, younger than me as well, are going to get a chance to see some really in-depth, behind-the-scenes stuff about the Bulls and about Michael Jordan that we just didn't get to see growing up, unfortunately. So it'll be uh, a for sure. No question, 100% definitive reminder as to why Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And I can't wait to watch it. And all right, I'm going to go ahead and close out this podcast with another random NBA shout out to a player of the past, some guy who just didn't get enough pub or someone who might be forgotten, and I want to go ahead and, and shine a little bit of light on him. So that player that we're going to shout out here is Brandon Roy. Believe it or not, Brandon Roy only played in five NBA seasons. Uh, he was a shooting guard that came out of Washington and played for the Portland Trailblazers, and unfortunately he got hit with that bad injury luck that so many great Portland players have dealt with, talking Greg Oden, talking Bill Walton, um, just a bunch of those guys that just unfortunately weren't able to make it. He played from 2006 to 2011. Um, tried to come back in 2013 after returning in 20 after retiring, excuse me, in 2012 from recurring knee issues, but it just didn't work out. And he was done in Minnesota after five games. In those five seasons in Portland, however, he became a three-time All-Star and made his first All-Star team in only his second year. He was a three-level scorer who could do it all in the offensive end. And throughout those three All-Star seasons, he was good for 22. Six and five every night. His versatility on offense was incredible. Um, could score off the dribble. Really good pick and roll operator. I think late like two thousands, early twenty ten score. Those guys who could just score all over the court. He he was that. He epitomized that. If he played in today's game, he'd be an incredible guy from the two guard position. You'd be. It'd be a competition between him and, and Clay Thompson and and uh, Devin Booker, those type of pure guys who could shoot. But Brandon Roy actually had a little more wiggle than them. I'd probably liken him more to Devin Booker as opposed to a Clay Thompson. Clay's just that type of prototypical get the ball, catch and shoot guy. Devin Booker has, has evolved more into a guy who can work his way off the dribble and get his own shots. Brandon Roy was much. Uh, was a lot like Devin Booker, and he could shoot from the outside, good free throw shooter, could get to the basket, and do a little bit of playmaking for his teammates as well. Um, if you look at some of his career highlights, uh, those include the the game-winning rainbow shot against the Rockets in 2008, and that's where Damian Lillard ended up hitting his game-winning shot against the Rockets as well in the playoffs that knocked them out of the series. And in 2011, he had a flashback moment. This is one of those last hurrah moments for Brandon Roy um, his last season in Portland he only played 47 games that year and the knee issues are really starting to bother him um, but he had a game uh, against the Mavericks um, in 2011 where he dropped 23 points off the bench in the second half including 20, including 18 in the fourth quarter um, the the trailblazers were down 20 plus in that game they ended up coming back and beating being the Mavs in that game so 
Um, it's unfortunate he had a lot of potential, um, a really talented guard. He was one of those rare guys who came in after four seasons and came into the NBA pretty much ready to go. Um, he was out of the league pretty much by age 28. Um, he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, but when he did play, dude could ball. A certified bucket, no question. Brandon Roy was that dude. And if you could ask any of those players who played against him while he was in the league, they'd tell you the same. Dude was a problem on offense. And if he was able to play longer, then he would have definitely put together a Hall of Fame career. And, I mean, who knows the fortunes of the Portland Trailblazers at this point. It probably wouldn't work out that way. But if you could imagine a backcourt with Brandon Roy and, and Damian Lillard right now, or even just four or five years ago, that would have been absolutely amazing. So. Shout out to you, Brandon Roy. Salute. All right, that's the end of the show. Once again, I want to thank you guys for listening to the Good Look Podcast. I have your host, Leonard Pinkney, a.k.a. Agent P, a.k.a. L. Pinkney. Check Twitter and Instagram for the links. And go ahead and give it a listen, like, rate, subscribe. Let me know what you think. I'm going to keep cranking out these episodes. I want to thank you guys for listening. Appreciate all the support, all the shares. Honestly, it's 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 awesome to see that some people are out there listening to what I got to say. Um, it, it's a really good feeling. So thank you guys. I'm gonna go ahead and keep pushing these out. Hope you guys are staying safe. Um, do what you can to keep yourself entertained. Listen to the podcast. Throw it on a couple times. And, and if you got any you got any comments or mentions like that, please let me know. Thank you for your time and your listening. Have a good one.